All right, welcome in to another edition of Neutral Grounders. I'm your host, Alex Asaro, and live via Skype webcast all the way from some city in Arkansas, a team that LSU might be playing this weekend, Joel Bueller. Joel, how's it going, you graduate student of University of Arkansas? How's it going up there? Oh, uh, it's finally starting to warm up, which which will bode nice for me. Um, mm-hmm. Also, before we get started, I'll just get the question that's on everyone's mind. Yes, it does get tiring being right <laughs> week after week. Your boy didn't miss one pick this weekend, and I will sign autographs if you just send me your mailing address, not your email address. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll send you some, you know, some boudin or something all the way up there. Give you a little culture, but... Uh... Oh yeah, it's uh, it must be tough. I know you mentioned it's getting warm. You didn't get the uh, nice jazz fest farmers tan like I did this past weekend. I um, I went to jazz fest and you know enjoyed the you know jazz and festivalness and heritage and it was great. And you know one thing uh, it's really sad. You and I have talked about how I've finally gotten a Snapchat and you know I'm a 50 year old in the 25 year old's body. And uh, one of my new favorite features, not only looking at you on the map up on uh, in, up in Fayetteville, but the fact that you can go in like and look at stuff like on a map, like uh, like yeah. oh, I couldn't watch the UL Lafayette game, but I could go and zoom in to Lafayette, and I could <laughs> I could click on the field and see people Snapchats, and that maybe I'm a hundred years old and I'm using Snapchat the way wrong way, but. Um, I was extremely entertained this weekend. It gave me a way to not only like see Twitter updates, but like feel like I was there. It was, um, it's pretty awesome. It's amazing how uh, how I've come around on new technology. But no, you don't use that at all. You you sound like my dad when he discovered Facebook last year. Yeah, Just so excited to find something brand new. This is the this is the sad truth, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna try and move past it and pretend like I'm not a hundred years old. But yes, as we move on t- from. That sad story to the next sad story. Uh, we take a look at LSU. Whew. A weekend to forget as the Tigers fall to the Ole Miss Rebels 1-2. Uh, to two. Uh, LSU does come away with a midweek win against Lamar 8 to nothing. But uh, this weekend's series eh, went about as we, as we called it. That's, that's about right. Or no. Nope, not me. No, I was drinking the Kool-Aid last week. I was impressed with what I saw from the Tigers, thought something would happen, and uh, it didn't. Uh, Friday night loss to Ryan Rollison was no surprise. Um, or, I'm sorry, a Thursday night, whatever. Game one, game two, you know what I'm talking about. Game two win and a game three uh, close loss to Ole Miss, I think is the big thing that's on Tiger Tiger fans' minds. But uh, a 9-8 to eight loss um, you know, some questionable calls at the end. Some people will debate the strike zone and, you know, uh, what you know what that at-bat for Slaughter would have done if someone else was on base and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, just what's your takeaway when, when you look at this series as a whole? We knew that, number, that, look, Ole Miss, number six in the country, this is a big deal, it's a big game. Would have been great if you came away with a series win, but... Uh, I think we're both kind of, you know, back down to earth on on where LSU is now. Well, you know, for, for looking first at that game three on Saturday, all I saw on LSU baseball Twitter, not the official account, fan accounts, was complaining about the refs, everything like that. And, I mean, you can say some of those calls could have gone either way, but you don't deserve to win a game that you allow nine runs in. So I'm not too upset about those calls more upset with the LSU pitching staff, both in game one and game three. Um, but you're right. You said you came back down to earth. Um, I mean, shoot, I don't think I ever left earth after a, what was it, a four-game losing <laughs> streak. One win against Lamar didn't get me too hyped. Um, yeah, it's just weird. Think about the way we were talking about LSU last year at this time when they were just starting to heat up and get ready yep. to go on run. And now, man, it's doom and gloom up in Baton Rouge, or I guess for me, down in Baton Rouge. Uh, what you're, you're probably a little closer to it. I'm curious because I haven't seen any, which is surprising. Have you seen any calls from Maneri's head? You know, not recently. I think um, everybody's just in this weird waiting to be surprised mode. 
You know, yeah. I feel like every year it comes later and later when LSU makes this amazing run. But, uh, you know, this year it, it's hard to pin down something like that, especially with uh, injuries throughout the year. You know, you're missing your ace that you thought you'd have to start the season. Um, your ace on Friday struggles. and Now there's a possibility of a Josh Smith injury. We don't know how long that's going to linger or or where it's at, but I don't know. It, it, there hasn't been as much about, you know, killing pulmonary, more about, you know, being like, man, I just can't deal with what he's doing right now with the program. So, uh, yeah, you don't you don't hear silence. You don't hear radio silence from LSU fans very long. But then again, we are recording this during the pulmonary show, so this dude might be hearing it from Tiger fans all, all, all over the nation right now. But uh, that'll be hope- for... You would hope that, I mean, a uh, runner-up spot in the College World Series will buy you at least one year of not having to worry about job security. Well, the thing is, you can, and, and oh man, I was just about to go into Tiger, phone, Tiger fan mode right there, unbiased opinion here, but you would think that that would, but then when you see Florida, the team that just won the national championship, just turn the page, and it's going to be another season where it looks like they're going to be walking into the national championship. I mean, unreal, relo- truly reloaded, uh, you know, top to bottom. And then you have LSU, on the other hand, where just just cannot get it together and can't can't win a game on the road, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, it's just looked like they've had that Super Bowl hangover all season. And, yeah. I mean, with this opponent coming up next weekend, I don't think anything's going to be changing anytime soon. Yeah, no. And, you know, one big thing I wanted to point out from this past weekend was, uh, you know, the use of Zach Hess and, and where he was at. Uh, only five innings pitched, seven hits given up, three earned runs, four walks and four Ks, and that sounds like, oh, okay, that was just sort of a rough outing. But, oh, man, that, that game one, I thought, as soon as they pulled Hess, I said, all right, the floodgates are about to open. And it is literally what happened. Pitch count was way too high, way too early. And uh, had to pull him after five innings. You know, there are some of those games where you watch Zach Hess and his ability to you know, use the fielders behind him helps him so much and gives him the chance to you know go further and not dig into this bullpen so early. But uh, Friday was not the case and really led to a lot of struggles for LSU. I keep saying Friday. It really led to a lot of struggles for uh, game one in this series. Yeah, I'm... Complete side note, I hate when they do that and they play game one on Thursday. That really, truly throws off my whole weekend. I didn't realize that game one was on until it was in about the fourth inning, and then I had to tune in. So, <laughs> I mean, that's just completely on me, but it's just a pain. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I know, that's, that's, that's a... I think it's an SEC thing, but uh, regardless, I I think I like it every now and then. But, you know, so game one, you have Hass Hilliard goes out in game two, goes seven innings pitch, four hits, one earned run, three walks, and six six strikeouts. So, uh, you know, it's nice to finally see Hilliard get a little support late in that game uh, around the, what, seventh and eighth inning to get this, uh, the the security runs in, but a five to two win, and it looked optimistic coming into game three on Saturday. But, um, gosh, you know, we knew that Sunday would be this this whole staff approach. And, you know, you kind of saw this combination of uh, Peterson and Gilbert and just just not, not able to, you know, kept it close, but, you know, just unable to get the win and, I don't. I don't know what more to say about this. About what what's going to happen Sunday? Because you know, even let's. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to jump ahead here because we are going to talk a little bit about where we see LSU in the postseason. But most of the teams that make the run in the postseason, we saw how LSU did it last year with the three starting pitchers that they had last year, and we and LSU doesn't even have a consistent one and two, let alone a three that can get you anywhere. So. I doubt that this Peterson and Gilbert thing is the answer. I'm waiting to see if AJ Labus finally makes that that jump to Sunday. So um, I don't know. I just don't know when you pull the trigger. Is it this week when you don't have a mid a midweek game? Maybe this is the time for you know Labus will have more than a week off. Maybe you see him Sunday, but 
you know, now's the time to win. And a home series against Arkansas, I think there's no better way to get some confidence in a new Sunday starter like that. And I just don't know if you're pulmonary, how much longer you can go watching Peterson and Gilbert, just because just about every time they've gone out there this season, it's been ugly and it hasn't been enjoyable to watch as a fan. So I know it hasn't been enjoyable to watch sitting in the dugout either. They just have not been able to effectively get batters out. I mean, that's why you see just about every game they pitch in, at least get significant innings in LSU doesn't wind up winning that game. And that's not a good recipe to have if you want to keep giving it was what eight or so innings that the, i could be wrong that the two of them split i don't have it right up in front they of went me six and one third combined they gave up 10 hits eight okay. earned runs only one walk and they had two strikeouts but that tells you that it's not that they were giving up free passes but it was just that old miss was seeing them you know yeah. some there are some of those games where they just see you well and they just hit you well and that's exactly what they did 10 hits and eight earned runs is um yeah, not pretty. It's not what you want out of that. No, so I honestly, I just don't know. I do like your idea about Labus coming back in. I mean, you called Hillier. Now look at your boy. I can't um, get anything right since, though. Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> um, I would. I think you need to see a change. I just don't know what the answer is, which is not what anyone wants to hear from me. But that's it. Yeah, it's it, it's it's. It's hard to watch, but uh, Sunday we'll I guess we'll we'll see who uh, who toes the rubber and uh, and where they go from there. But you know, as we take a look at LSU and where they might be, uh, took a little glance onto uh, D1 baseball as of right now. LSU is projected a three seed in the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill Regional, uh, also predicted as one of the last five teams into the tournament. So I mean that tells you what these last these last two weeks have really meant for LSU a possible regional host then you get swept on the road against South Carolina and then you lose a series on the road against Ole Miss and look you know I think if this was any other conference other than the SEC LSU would be projected to be out of the tournament I think they're lucky to be where they're at I mean a 26 and 19 record and a losing record in the SEC or in your conference, it being the SEC, I think gives you, you know, a little leeway there. But uh, I mean, anyone else is sitting outside. They still have an RPI of fifty-three. So the SEC is literally that name is holding them. That thing that I hate about college football—that SEC carries every single team to get whatever they want. That's what it's doing for baseball right now with LSU and. Uh, you know, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, do we see them as a two seed? Do we see them as a three seed? I feel like we're going to, if you're listening and you've noticed that we've talked about where we think they're going to be, it's because every week something changes. You know, a big team loses here, a little team wins there, uh, you know, these RPI rankings and all this, all this is constantly moving. So each week we're going to kind of dive into, you know, where we see these guys going or each team going and if we see them going anywhere, but um, just kind of your feel on you know, where do we see LSU? A few weeks ago, there was potential to be UConn. Uh, you know, do we see them maybe at a more local spot? Uh, just wh- what's what's your thoughts? You know, it's tough. I, I definitely see them making the tournament unless they absolutely just make a mess of these last three series and what, they have two midweeks remaining. I do think it's going to be vital to win those two midweeks, even though – Imagine if I told you that in February, that the <laughs> Northwestern State games are must-wins. Um, I think those are two very, very important games, because if they lose one of those to a lower RPI team, I mean, that's going to look ugly, especially while they're sitting at one of the last five teams in. I I think more teams are deserving of a two-seed than they are as it stands at this moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would it not be the most LSU thing ever to come out and sweep the Hogs this weekend after just getting buried? You, yeah, that is that is so true. Especially two weekends in a row of of just right. punchless efforts. But yeah, th- this weekend to to take on Arkansas, a team coming in at thirty two and thirteen, a thirteen and eight record. Uh, Dave Van Horn has wow put together a team this year and they've been rolling ever since and taking on some of the best, you know, like you look at LSU's record right now and you keep in mind that, you know, that they haven't had to play Florida. 
Um, you know, they've, they've that's just one that always sticks out in my mind when I looked at the schedule this year. But, you know, some of the SEC teams that they've played haven't exactly been the most elite, but Arkansas's played the best of the best. Uh, coming off a sweep of Alabama, this team's coming in hot. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of new faces from last year, but there's a lot of, um, you know, interest all over them. And uh, I, I think the I think the biggest one right here, and it's something that I've kind of emphasized on the podcast, is uh, in the SEC, if you're going to win, you have to have a true Friday night or game one ace. And that's what Arkansas has in Blaine Knight. He was, a great, he was great last year, but comes in this year with a 2.45 ERA. He's 7-0, has 62 and one-third innings pitched. Uh, only had 17 earned runs against him all uh, all season long, but 15 walks and 63 Ks. And I know you love the the strikeout to walk ratio, and that's uh, that's pretty damn good right there. Yeah, another one that's not too bad is Casey Murphy, another guy. He's sitting at a 2.54 ERA, 53 strikeouts to eight walks. And you know, if you just focus on the strikeouts, they the as a complete pitching staff. They have struck out 418 batters. Their hitters have only struck out 324 times. That's 94 fewer strikeouts, 94 fewer balls in play, 94 fewer opportunities to make an error, which can lead to a run. And, you know, that's one reason this team has been so successful is their ability to strike batters out. Meanwhile, their batters rarely, rarely strike out. Yeah, and and you mentioned that their batters rarely strike out, and I think the biggest name that's coming out of Fayetteville, um, other than Joel Bueller right now, is uh, is is Heston Kerstad. This he's a freshman coming out. Uh, he's playing what left field or right field? Left field. Um, just I mean, knocking the cover off the ball right now. Yeah, I mean, I've been to a couple games up here. I've I've, I've sat in the hog pen. I'm sure you Ooh, love. Oh, very nice. And man. They think this guy is the second coming of Kramer Ruff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus. They think this guy is just absolutely <laughs> something else. And, I mean, the kid can play. He's hitting 368. Um, but, my Lord, when you see 55-year-old men fawning over a 19-year-old, it's just weird. Uh, <laughs> I another mean, we guy- see it every, every weekend at LSU's Tiger Stadium. You know, <laughs> I feel like that happens every weekend. This is just uh, just another form and fashion. Yeah, it's just a little different when they're wearing red. Uh, Another name, and he doesn't have quite the numbers that Kerstad has, but he's still playing very good ball this year. Another guy that Razorback fans are just batty over is Luke Bonfield. Um, The Duke can hit. He's hitting 301. Uh, But, you know, it's just funny that – you know how LSU always has those guys that even if they're not the most productive, you know, they're just the fan favorites. Like the Jordan Twins. They're real good, but they're no – Right, right, right. That's how Bonfield is. I mean, he's good. He's mm-hmm. not an absolute superstar. Um, but, man, these fans just love him. And I just think it's the weirdest thing to get it from a different team's perspective. Yeah, I know. It's, it's weird. You sit in the bleachers and uh, you get another feel. But you, you, you said it right. There's sometimes those guys who aren't, you know, knocking the cover off the ball or doing this or that. But, you know, I was looking at it. They have seven daily starters that have on-base percentage of 400 or higher. Yep. So they they don't have to kill the ball. You know, you can be impressed with Kerstad. He's got, what, 368. He's got 12 doubles on the season, nine home runs, and 39 ribbies. But then you really got to be impressed with the rest of these guys. You know, get them on base. Get on base. Get me in, my man. Like, <clears throat> it seems like everyone's working from every angle. Last year with Spamberger, everybody loved, you know, the home run hitter, him versus Dykeman. You know, that was a great storyline for, for them last year. But, um uh, you know this the, the this entire staff pitching staff has been uh, you know solid throughout the whole season. In addition to the complimentary um, ability to hit, I mean seriously, I, you you say it like you're up there. So it's one thing for you to hear that Kerstad is is getting this <clears throat> is getting this much love. But I've heard comparisons to Andrew Benatendi, a guy who is a Golden, you know, I mean, uh, Golden Spikes Award winner, guy who beat out Alex Bregman. Just throwing that in there too. It's um, there's a lot of potential, and he's he's playing up to it. So this is, uh, you know, even if you're just a college baseball fan, this is a a series to watch and a guy to watch out for. 
And the last thing I have to say about this Razorback lineup is one through nine, even if nobody's on base, anyone in this lineup is a scoring threat. They have three starters with six home runs, two everyday starters with nine home runs, two more everyday starters with ten home runs apiece. You know, just about everyone on this team can hit the ball, so LSU pitching staff can't get lazy against anybody. Yeah, so this is um, not, as as many Tiger fans know, this is not going to be an easy series to head into, but uh, I'm going to say, um, let's see, prediction time. I think it's, yeah, I, I'm going to say that if Labus toes the rubber, they go, they win the series 2-1. And I think he makes the difference. But if not, I think what you've this whole staff approach that you have on Sunday isn't the answer. So you fall one two. So I hate to give two predictions, but I don't know what they're gonna do Sunday and how it's gonna be approached. I uh, I hope that I get to go two for two on calling uh, weekend starters. But um, you know, I I can only get lucky so many times. You know, after you picking. LSU to beat Ole Miss last weekend. I'm not surprised you're hedging your bets this weekend. <laughs> um, but I think regardless of who pitches Sunday, I think LSU only squeaks out one. I only think they get one because they're playing at home. If it was in Fayetteville, I think they'd yeah. get swept easy. Um, also, Arkansas is four and nine on the road, so I mean they have the same road woes LSU does. Hey, so I guess there is a silver lining uh, on uh, on these past two doom and gloom weekends for the uh, LSU Tigers but um, as we take a look from LSU and their just downtrend uh, we move just what a good 45 minutes down the road to the UL Lafayette Raging Cajuns sitting at a 26 and 20 record uh, 12 and 9 in the conference 26 and 20 isn't that interesting very similar record to LSU Hmm. only one loss more but uh, yet RPI rankings are Actually, pretty close to, but uh, RPI sitting at 61. LSU's at what? 50. Looking in my notes, totally know this offhand. 53. Yep, that's what I was going to say. Um, but yeah, UL Lafayette coming off a great week. A series win over Georgia State, along with two midweek wins against Louisiana Tech 9 to 4. That was a big one that we mentioned was coming around the corner for them. And against UNO, eight to six, a nice another midweek win. So, um, hey man, Cajuns finally getting things going. Are we uh, are we impressed with what they're doing? Is it a little too late? Um, you know, what do you do? You like what you're seeing, or, or are they you know are they about to come back down to earth this weekend? Uh, I mean, I think those are two completely different questions. <laughs> yes, I'm thinking. Yes, I think they will get wrecked this weekend. We can talk more about that later. Um, but I mean, as a Cajun fan, the fewest amount of runs you scored in a game this weekend was five, where most weekends that would be just about the max, even against Little Rock. Oh no, I'm sorry. Ignore that last part. Um, yeah, they finally got the bats going this past weekend, this whole past week. They beat a really good LA Tech team that was ranked earlier in the season. UNO is always UNO, but I mean, they can be a scrappy team for an in-state rival. Um, and then this Georgia State team. I mean, yeah, two games went to extra innings, which is, I mean, not something you see often. Uh, but they got two of the Ws. So yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I mean, you take it, and especially in this Sun Belt Conference, uh, you know what it's going to come down to for ULF yet is if if they're gonna make a postseason, if they're gonna make a run, they need to get the conference wins. And so getting a series win here, getting a series win there, is going to pay dividends for this team and. You know, getting it against this Georgia State team, I, it, gosh, you need to write these down or I need to actually listen to our podcasts and I can't remember if I called UL winning the series or not. I'm sure you got it somewhere, Mr. Scribe, but uh, they, uh, you know, the, I, I'm pretty sure I remember saying that I thought this was going to be a series win. I did. Yeah. Thank you, sir. That this was going to be a series win and uh, and they did. They came away with it and, and we actually looked like we knew some stuff or maybe a short while, but, uh, you know, Colton Schmidt, I think, is one that stands out, because this easily could have been a series sweep if, uh, you know, a little run support actually did come in. Colton Schmidt, with uh, seven innings pitch, only gave up six hits, but four earned runs, no walks, and uh, seven Ks, so, you know, went out there and actually had a pretty good performance in comparison to the pitching on Saturday and Sunday, but, um, 
Still unable to get the win. Um, I think there is a shining star in that in that in that batting lineup, though, and and I I think he sticks right out because he's sitting right at the top with the best average, and that's that's Daniel Lahare. Can you speak a little bit on what he's done this season? I mean, he's really just given this team a shot in the arm. When if they didn't get one, they would have just sunk. I mean, before they got hot recently and had this turnaround, they were at just about at the point of no return for the season where there was not one bright spot in the lineup. Uh, I mean, to put that into perspective, they've been this hot, and as a team, they're still hitting just 226. So for LaHare to, I mean, just absolutely LeBron this lineup and carry, (laughs) it's been incredibly impressive. Yeah, I mean, sitting at a 317 batting average, he's got nine doubles on the season, four home runs, only 18 RBIs, but 36 runs. So really, um, you know, the name of the game here has been small ball for these guys. We, uh, you know, we've talked so much this year and last year about Southeastern, about how they're the small ball team and where they can do that. And this, we're going to talk Southeastern later in the podcast, where where they where Southeastern can small ball, they actually are leaning more on their pitching. And whereas UL right now, you really have to appreciate their ability to just get on base and uh, you know bring the runs in, even if it's you know the even if it is that blue collar approach that I always love to chalk up to uh, Matt Riser. But uh, Coach Rowe is showing that that he's more than capable of adapting to a new way of getting the wins. Yeah, three guys with double digit steals. I mean, come on, that's how when you have a struggling offense, that's how you manufacture runs. So. I mean, having to learn on the fly, that's what a good coach does. And he adapted this lineup to fit their needs and their talents because their ta- talents aren't hidden. I have to make up <laughs> every week. Um, oh, sorry. I thought, I thought we were going to pass on the low-hanging fruit, or is it just it's too delectable to, to, not, to not snack on? Um, but in all seriousness, <laughs> I mean, props to Coach Rowe for being able to turn this around and get these guys on a hot streak and get them some confidence. Yeah, most definitely. And you mentioned those three guys, Gavin Bourgeois and uh, Hunter Cantrell. I mean, I'm sorry, Hayden Cantrell, both with 15 stolen bases apiece, along with Hunter Castles, who has 13 stolen bases. So, you know, really getting things cooking down um, UL Lafayette. But before we d- dive into the CCU series, let's how about this? Let's play. Let's play best case scenario and worst case. You know, like so what? So UL Lafayette makes it in. And we're going to assume that they're not going to make a huge run, go undefeated in the Sun Belt, and then win the conference tournament. It's really it's really hard to do that. Let's play something a little bit more realistic. Let's say they make the conference tournament, and let's say they win the conference tournament. Where do they fall in? You know, do they even after winning a Sun Belt, after doing okay in a Sun Belt conference? Um, you know, like, do they do they fall in as a four seed or do they fall in as a three seed? Because we've seen it where a lot of these, you know, Ivy League schools win their conference, so they're automatically in, and they're sitting at you know a, a four seed in uh, you know Oregon State or something. They got to go play in Corvallis, but ULF yet. I, I don't know if you have an opinion on on where you think if they made some freakish run, where or what seed they might be at. So you're saying if they do in fact win the conference tournament? Yeah, let's say let's let's play that best case scenario. Sure. We're being somewhat realistic uh, that if they just go streaking and win the conference right. tournament, you know what would happen? Well, in order for that to happen, they would need someone else to knock off Coastal Carolina in the conference tournament. <laughs> yes, very true. So lucky schedule it'll play in. Um, but I think a three seed would be fair, given the way. Again, this is only if they do win the conference tournament. Of I think course, a three seed would be fair. Um, given the way they've really turned it around, honestly, they up until this past weekend, they were to an extent still playing the same kind of ball, you know, just relying heavily on their pitching. But there's something to be said for being able to rely on your pitching, even when you are beginning to turn it around with your lineup. So, I. I think they'll win the last series against ULM. I think they have a damn good shot of beating Texas State in the series. Mm-hmm. I think with those two series and a conference tournament, that a four seed would be unfair. So I think they would get the three. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. I feel like you win your conference tournament, you earned enough to, you know, you find those three and four seeds are a lot of at-large. 
But uh, you know, the Sun Belt does carry enough. It's a little bit more heavy than you know the Ivy Leagues or SoCo League or wherever else. But um, yes, yeah, so I'd say the same. And then I guess we could do the other end of the spectrum here. Is you know what's what's the reality of where of where UL Lafayette's headed? I'll I'll give you mine first. I think that you know we know what's coming this weekend. 2016 National Championships, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, a team that I think that I think UL is going to put up a fight. I I, I really love um, you know how close the series was last year. You literally cannot have a series that was closer than it was last year. But um, you know UL's not the and shoot I'm saying UL's not the team that they were last year, but not that they were anything to write home about because they didn't even make the postseason. But um, I think the re- I think realistically, it's it's hard to see this team uh, with the inconsistency at pitching and you know just not um, the strength at hitting. Uh, I just don't see this team making it very far in the tournament. It might be a, f- a, a first round win or a first round exit, but uh, look, we're doing these every week, so maybe our maybe they sweep Coastal this weekend, and you and I look like complete jackasses. Which hey man, I can accept that it. it's happened before, so uh, wouldn't be the first or last time. Very true. Very, very true. But um, um, yeah, I think for me again, they they should be proud of their turnaround, especially if they finish the season strong. Um, but say they get swept by Coastal, maybe they even take one. Then they go on and beat Texas State and ULM two one in both of those. I still don't think, unless they go deep into the conference tournament, that I think I still don't think they make it. The beginning of their season was so bad. And it lasted for about half the season that I think it's honestly too little too late. But they should still be encouraged looking forward to next season. Yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, a lot of young talent on there. I think Hayden Cantrell was one that I had talked up this season and is finally, you know, coming around, hitting the ball, making an impact. But uh, as we take a look at this Coastal Carolina team, my goodness, 31-14, and 17-4. Uh, and 4 in the Sunbelt Conference. Only four losses in the conference, and uh, this will be another fun series regardless. I, 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 Like I was saying, I don't know if UL comes away. I don't think they come away with a series win here, but you really got to love how last season ended. You know, both these teams were at the top of their game in in at this point in the season, but uh, a series tie with a, a win and a, and a loss and then a Sunday, um, due to time restraints and you know conference travel rules, uh, what was it? It was a game was tied seven to seven. UL allows two runs in the bottom of the ninth to allow Coastal Carolina to tie the game, and they were unable to play the next in play the next inning. They didn't go into extras, so they just called it at nine. So the series tied at one one and one. So now this year, you assume you know ULF yet coming home will do their best, do their darnest at the very most to uh, to get the series win here. But I think it's fun just to play and look on 2016 because I think this weekend is uh, is just going to be kind of just a, a way to come back down to earth for for the Cajuns. Yeah, you know I do think Coastal Carolina is too consistent uh, across the board. Their pitching staff is fairly consistent. It's not absolutely lights out but they go out there and produce the same thing week after week, and I just don't think uh, that the Cajuns will be able to overcome it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for any anyone who's watching this game or going to this game, uh, just a player to look out for is uh, Seth Lancaster, second baseman, senior, um, actually had himself a hell of a regional against LSU the season they won, uh, was tearing it up and actually got hurt in that game. But, you know, so far this season is, has a three oh three batting average, 14 doubles on the season, 12 home runs with 36 RBIs. So tearing it up, continue to do what he has done, uh, you know, since their World Series run. And uh, just a guy to look out for for this weekend against uh, against the against the Raging Cajuns. But, uh, yeah, I've, I'm... I'm gonna call it a clean sweep here. I think uh, I think Cajuns. T- I mean, uh, I'm sorry, not the Cajuns. The uh, Chanticleers take it and uh, maybe put UL back a little bit closer to earth. Yeah, you um, and I are definitely on the same boat when it comes to that. I also think it'd be a nice little sweep. Look at us finally agreeing. But as we move on from UL Lafayette, we'll take a look at the Tulane Green Wave with a 
21 and 24 record, 7 and 8 in the conference. Wah, wah, wah. I thought they'd be above 500 after this weekend, but not so much. After a midweek win against Texas Southern, Tulane was looked like they had a little something cooking, but came back down after UConn, a top 25 team, put them in their place, uh, you know, losing Friday and Sunday. Uh, Saturday. Solid win. Just another another weekend for Tulane when Keegan Giles does his darnest to keep this team in it uh, as Tulane gets one win on the weekend, uh, 7-1. to one. Yeah, Giles has been absolutely lights out. What's it been? Three, four, five weeks now. I mean, this past weekend he pitched a complete game. Six hits, just one run, eight Ks and only one walk. That You can't say enough about what he's been doing lately, honestly. He's just been going out there absolutely dominating teams doesn't matter who he's playing against uh and then grant witherspoon comes in with some run support gets himself a nice little grand slam during that game Um, so although hits were tied each team had six hits Tulane definitely made theirs count a little more with the final score being seven to one yeah most definitely and uh i i I guess maybe because i'm just i feels like every week when i write giles name i'm always putting nine innings pitched right next to him I think he's a sneaky um, first-team all-Louisiana pitcher for me because I think we only had three starting pitchers last year. I'm pretty sure I put, believe me, I heard it from you and Paul about how I didn't put precious Eric Walker on my list. But uh, Giles, I think, is sneakily becoming maybe number one in um, in a different kind of way. You know, his ERA isn't exactly you know booming off the page, but... Uh, has has just been consistent and has been a very underrated, uh, an underrated story for this team. You know, it's it's really nice the the story of Grant Witherspoon and what he's done this season, and you know all the transfers that have come in. You know, um, you know Roper has earned himself a Friday night start, but I think this has really been the story this season because it's week in and week out. Other than I think the week they played Ole Miss, even then he looked pretty damn good, but um, just. Like we covered, just 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 killing it and uh, at the highest level, and you know, move from Sunday to Saturday to really to really make the difference. Yeah, you know, I mean, to take absolutely nothing away from Giles because he has been lights out, but uh, it for the all Louisiana team, it would definitely help him. That I mean, think around the Louisiana teams; it's definitely been a lot more of a down year than last year. Oh no, I, I totally you're right. I feel like last last year we were constantly saying Gunnar Leger and Max Schroeder and Alex Lang. It's it was Friday was a it was it, yeah yeah it was it was killer. A lot of aces and uh, yeah, that's a it's a very good point. But maybe that's why he's given why you know he's shining now and it seems like he's there. But I, I think that's I think honestly that's my only real. Shining star here for the Tulane Green Wave, but you know what? Do you, what, do, what can you salvage from this season? I know maybe I was optimistic last week uh, heading into the UConn series. I think I think home field advantage just plays so much, and I really thought maybe they could stand a chance here. But uh, you know, ECU is 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 not going to be a simple opponent, and nor is the rest of the AAC as the season goes on. But you know, what is what is Tulane salvaging uh, the rest of this rest of this year? Man, you know, it's. I don't want to sound too doom and gloom, but it's It's not as easy to single out and pick out what they have to really look forward to. Um, as awful as that sounds, uh, there's not, <laughs> aside from Giles and Witherspoon, think about it, there's not one person on this team who has been consistently impressive all season. Can you think of anybody? Uh, did, no. I, I think I like, I, I think... If I if I'm if I'm gonna comment here, I think there's a huge improvement from what we saw last year. I think there's a more consistent, uh, you know, approach to the plate and hitters. I feel like last year we talked about Hunter Williams, and then everyone else was just filling the role. But you know, we can appreciate what what's happened from second, short, and third. You know, with uh, Artigues and Salgazo and Cody Hosey have been solid, but. No, you're absolutely right. There's no one that we're not we're not praising on a weekly basis outside of outside of those two players. So, yeah, it is. It's it's really tough to kind of see where this program's going and where they're heading. Uh, 
Yeah, I, it's. It, it, I don't know where Travis. Maybe Travis Jewett has some long term plan, but uh, it it makes you wonder. A big thing for me is when this team loses. It's rare that they lose five to six or two to one. When they lose, man, it is a loss. Their last couple of losses: two to nine, two to six, one to nine. Um, and then you have to go back four losses before you see a three to five loss to a very good Houston team, mind you. Right. Um, but it's when they lose, they can't get anybody to stop the bleeding. And the two losses this past weekend, they were out hit twenty five to fifteen. And man, you need some pitcher to be able to go in there and slam the door when someone else is struggling. You need a couple of guys to be able to hit when maybe the top of the lineup's struggling a bit. And the fact that no one has been able to step up to the plate when they need it most is just discouraging. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that a lot of Tulane fans are, are truly struggling with this season and, and last season for sure, especially with Jewett in his uh, second season with the Tulane Green Wave. But you know, as we take a look at what's coming this weekend, the um, Eastern Carolina University Pirates with a 30 and 12 record only eight and seven in the conference that was kind of surprising when i saw that um but um this team uh, coming on and here's one to look at you know lsu we talked about i mean i'm sorry Tulane coming off uh solid you know wins against houston um ecu at home last weekend swept by houston at home uh you know, maybe this is a chance for for Tulane to kind of, you know, kick them while they're down. It would be nice, but this is just, this is a team that's a competitor in the AAC, and it's uh it's hard to see it going any other way, but poorly for the Wave. But uh, just just at least a, a note to put in there. And you know, it's funny that you took that approach to the Pirates getting swept because I was thinking they got swept. They're going to come in here rip roaring mad. <laughs> and ready to crack some skulls, especially with this pitching staff that they have. Between Chris Holba and Tyler Smith, each of them, respective, respectively, have a 1.48 ERA and a 1.86 ERA. And combined, they are 15-1. and one. So Tulane, Ooh. again, when they're down, they're real down, and they're going to be hard-pressed to get something going this weekend. Yeah, it's uh, it, that's... You, you don't really duplicate those numbers. It's it's hard to find pitching that's on that elite of a level. Uh, you know, outside of that, I think these guys have an ability to hit too. You really have to be impressed with the sophomore Bryant Packard has done. First baseman is hitting 406 on the season. He's got 10 doubles, 10 RBIs, 39 ribbies, and 30 runs. So, you know, the ability to, to hit, I mean, the the hitting is one thing. But the pitching staff that this team has is is unreal. And after losing Krasinski last year, uh, basically a Friday night ace, or I'm sorry, game one ace, depending on when you play the game. But uh, a guy you you have to bounce right back from that. But and for them to have a guy like Chris Holba having the season he is uh, is really impressive. And I think these <clears throat> I think these guys are really going to bring it uh, bring it Friday. I think that. Maybe I was just being a little optimistic about Tulane, but um, shoot, maybe you convince me. I'm a. Uh, I think I think my I think my prediction here might be uh, might be not so great for the Tulane Green Wave. Yeah, you uh, must be reading my notes because I have zero and three written in big old letters or numbers <laughs> here. Well, the thing is, I'm looking at more of my more of the information I've found. Like I, I'm sitting here talking about how great the the pitchers are, but then I, I have right here. ECU batters have the lowest amount of Ks in the American Athletic Conference at 274. I mean, they're barely striking out. To give you a reference, Tulane's got 384 strikeouts. So swinging and missing is just is just part of the game in New Orleans. But uh, yeah, you know what? They 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 screwed me last week, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give it right back to them. I think uh, I think Tulane falls here. I think you're right. ECU maybe rolls in and says we got to get that conference record way back up and let's let's take all three here so yeah i think the pirates come in and take all three wins yeah you really showed them right there (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i figured we would be on the same page when it came to that series yeah so i mean that's it's just pretty straightforward i was i was telling joel before there's just with Tulane this year it's, it's hard to you know pin down one thing that really it's really 
shining with this team. There's there's hard to say that there's one thing, but uh, anyway, let's go from let's go let's go from let's get out of this negative energy. Let's move a little north here and head to the uh, southeastern Lions, sitting at a 30 and 17 record on the season, uh, 17 and 7 in the Southland Conference. So uh, so pretty nice. But one thing to point out, or I'll get to in a minute, but. One nice thing is the uh, is the series sweep for this team, a much needed way to you know boost up that Southland Conference record uh, to seventeen and seven. But three game series sweep over Stephen F. Austin. Um, one side comment before we start jumping into how this weekend went. You know we, we've talked about like um, you know postseason potential, and as you can see, we skip right over Tulane's postseason potential. We really. We really don't don't see it coming. Sorry for the, that, you Green Wave fans, but just hang in there. I'm sure greener pastures will come. But um, <clears throat> Southeastern is a team that you and I, throughout this entire year, have felt really have a great chance of making the postseason. Right now, Southeastern sitting at an RPI of 129, whereas their opponent this weekend in uh, Sam Houston State is close to about 50 or 60 so i think it's interesting that you know same conference same stuff like that i think this is something we could jump into when we start doing the 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 preview but uh just something to keep in mind as we roll forward but friday night josh green back on the mound bounces back after a bad start the weekend before goes seven innings pitch gives up five hits only one earned run two walks with three strikeouts so uh this weekend, once again, uh, pitching. That's what it's all about with this team. That's our that's our new that's our new motto. Last year, uh, we talked about how blue collar and gritty they were, but now it's uh, they have the finesse pitching to hold their own in this Southland Conference. Yeah, and kind of going in a different direction on the pitching is what's crazy to me is that in Game Three, the game they won seven to three, they were out hit twelve to eight. Again, it all just comes down to timely hitting and when you're getting those hits and being able to produce those hits in pressure situations. Um, so the fact that the Lions were able to come out there and manufacture a win in a game they probably shouldn't have and do it convincingly was very, very impressive. And that yeah. kind of speaks to that uh, blue-collar mentality that you love so much. There we go. Right back to it. Full circle. Plus, they get about 20 steals a game. So, you know, it's it's all the, it's all the you know, the Matt Riser punch-him-in-the-mouth quotes. They're all just... Just the allure of, of what people love about going out to Hammond and watching games there, but you know, um, you know, it seems like the same old song and dance on the weekends. You know, you see Josh Green on Fridays, on Saturday, Carlisle Kessler. Sunday seems to be the um, the the wishy wash here. Whether you have uh, Corey Jaconi or Cade Grande, uh, I really love what they're doing Sunday. I think this is finally the one thing, the one time I do like when you don't know who's on Sunday. I feel like everyone else that we cover is doing it wrong. Maneri, whatever he's figuring out on Sunday, nope, not going their way. Whether it's uh, Jewett trying to put in Josh Bates, not going their way. Sunday with, uh, you know, we saw with UL, they kind of did a whole staff approach, not going their way. But I really like what Southeastern's doing and how they're rotating. You know, even a guy like uh, Jared Biddy has gotten an opportunity to have some starts. And, uh, you know, I- I'm I'm impressed. I, you know, we always talk about – we're going for, eh, going right back around here, but talking about how they can hit, but the, the pitching this year, uh, I just can't speak enough on how important having great pitching on Sunday is uh, really benefiting the Lions where they're at this season. Yeah, and those four guys that went out on Sunday, I'm seeing this for the first time, which explains why they were able to get the win despite being out hit. They did not walk a single batter the entire game, which is really, that's not something you see very often. It's very impressive. Meanwhile, the Lions batters were walked six times, which gives you more base runners if you're good at simple math. Um, the Lions ended up with more base runners despite being out hit by four. Um, so big shout out to being able to pound the strike zone by Jaconi, Knob, Lee, and Biddy. Yeah, and, and the bullpen entirely on this entire weekend. Um, outside of outside of Josh Green, Carlisle Kessler, and Corey Jaconi, the bullpen came in this weekend, pitched seven innings, only gave up seven hits, had zero walks, and one earned run. That's what you want. Those are the kind of guys that Tulane needs. Those are the guys who can go in there, stop the bleeding. You know, when you know when your Friday or your Saturday guy, you know, gives it his all, show him that you got his back. And guy, you know, guys who have who came in this weekend, 
uh, you know, really, really show that, you know, given when you have a strong bullpen, those batters that you mentioned can play a little more loose, knowing that, hey, you know, they've got this, you know, they've got this in hand. Let me just throw on some more security runs here and there. And, uh, and that's, that's why this team's playing so hot. They're playing loose. They're playing well. And, uh, you know, this, this is going to be a fun team to watch if they make the postseason. Um, I think we were all over it last year. Really, it was good and bad that they went through LSU, that we saw them go to the, the you know, the Baton Rouge Regional. We knew that one team was going to leave and three teams were going to go home. And it was just a shame that basically one of our teams had to be knocked off right away just out of outside of the regional but you know this team's really got some potential and uh i i i think postseason wise if we if we as you can see we're coming back you know Tulane, we skipped over postseason but we're we're back on talking about postseason but for southeastern um you know i just kind of want to get your take I, i have a little bit but um I feel like I've been talking for too long. So where do you think where do you think these guys go where for postseason or or where could they based on a uh, you know positive end to the rest of their season? So looking ahead and trying to project how I think the rest of the regular season and right, exactly this is hard to do. We're just kind of you know just kind of right. generalizing. So I think they're going to finish finish pretty hot despite what happens this weekend. Um, I think they'll probably make a somewhat deep run into the Southland tournament, if not win it, very possible they could win the whole thing. They have talent to do that. Um, I think if they finish strong and they win the Southland tournament, I really think a two seed would be fair, honestly. They played well enough. I like it. Whether the committee gives them that two seed, again, that RPI will hurt. I don't know if that'll happen. Um, If they don't, win the tournament, but they do make a deep run and finish strong, I think they'll get in as a three or a four. Probably a four, uh, but you never know. Yeah, it's um, it's really hard to kind of classify the year or pin down the Southland Conference. I think this year you do see two teams go in. You know, it's really interesting to watch these mid-major teams and see, you know, where they hang or where they're going to be, um, you know, based on schedule and it's just there's so much in the works here, and it's really hard to predict. But I, I seriously think, and and you and I know how much potential this team has, even as a three or a four seed. You know, if they if they roll into you know Georgia, who's been a hot team, might be you know sixteen. They might be the last the the last team to host, or it might be you know Texas of Arlington. I mean, I'm sorry, not Texas of Arlington. Um, University of Texas in Austin. You know, it's a team we saw play against LSU and is still pretty well and might be a potential host. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of teams still in the works that I don't know if I see. I think Georgia is probably the lowest SEC team that I could see Southeastern squeaking in and you know making some noise there. But uh, you know, I love the idea of Matt Riser's team finally making it outside of a regional this year, and I think with the road not looking like it has to go through Baton Rouge, might give this team a better chance. I know that, you know, each year there's different teams, but when you play a top eight national seed and you play them at their home every single season to in order to make a run in the postseason, uh, it gets difficult. So maybe a strong finish here and, you know, maybe a mid-level SEC team might um, might have a little trouble not not knowing these Southeastern Lions much like LSU has. And ironically enough, this would probably be the year that Southeastern would want to play in a Baton Rouge regional. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Maybe LSU will do them a favor and uh, and have a and have a have a winning streak here. But uh, yeah, right. That's funny. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Southeastern takes on this weekend, which is probably their biggest. This is probably the the biggest series for them for the rest of this season. Uh, it'll make or break the Southland Conference as uh, Matt Deggs in the Sam Houston State, what are they? Cougars come in with a 31 and 13 record. They are 18 and 3 in their conference. I mean, that is how it's done at this point in the season. When you're sitting at 18 and 3, um this team's ready to play. You know, they made that that postseason run last year. They made that super regional and have show, you know, really really put themselves on the map. Um coming off a series sweep against McNeese State and th- this is just this is going to be a huge weekend. You know, basically whoever wins this this series, um, 
is just about gonna take it's gonna be close let's see yeah southeastern southeastern is a few games behind i think they've played a few more southland conference games if you look at it but um I'm just going to go out on the limb and say whoever wins this series pretty much takes the Southland Conference regular season championship. And that's probably going to be the case, too, especially looking at the remaining schedules. Um, and, man, if Southeastern wants to win this series, it's going to be tough to do at the plate. If you look at these pitchers for the Cougars, whose names I will not try to pronounce— once you see the lineup, you yes, will understand. Why is everyone's name look like they're from Eastern Eastern Europe or something? I feel like last year it was so easy to say names like Heath Donica, but this this just isn't fair this year. Yeah, it's crazy, and all they're across the board. Their pitchers are so consistent. Their pitchers with the three most innings all have an ERA that's in the threes. So they're all clumped up right around each other. A lot of their strikeout counts, a lot of their walk counts are about the same. It's just like a bunch of clones. So, I mean, I don't know how these guys pitch. I don't know if they're all over the top, if there's any junk ballers. But looking at numbers, it looks like, I mean, Southeastern should know what to expect. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is almost the same program that came in last year to um, into Hammond and really made an incredible series. You know, last, I feel like we were talking about UL, and I was talking about how great that series was. But really... Nothing could have been better than what we got Friday or the Friday night matchup with Max Roller versus Heath Donica. It was an 11 inning heartbreaker for the Cougars. Uh, Schroller pitched nine innings. Donica pitched 10 innings in a game that was lost two to one for um, for the Cougars. But Lions came away with a walk off win. So this is you know these teams haven't been playing each other forever. I think. It was Sam Houston had joined the conference later than the Lions, but the last two seasons have been really great for for this for this almost mini rivalry, and both are constantly battling to win the conference. So I'd expect nothing less than a dogfight right here between two cats. But uh, ooh, it's um, you know I'm, I'm gonna roll I'm gonna roll with Southeastern here. I know it's on the road. I know they have to go up there, but I've really been impressed with what this team is doing. And uh, I say I say the Lions take the win here, and I know that this, and, and not only is it a would it be a huge win for them, we talk about, uh, but we talked about RPI right, right yeah. now, and I and I looked at it while I was sitting here talking, but Sam Houston is sitting at forty seven, their RPI rating is is forty seven, so a win here for Southeastern not only helps them in Southland Conference play, but also kind of helps their potential to get. Uh, you know, an at-large bid, much like they did last year. So, um, you know, a lot of things are in play this weekend, and this is, needless to say, even though we've already said it, this is a huge weekend for both programs. Man, you know, as much as I want to go and ride ride that with you, I... Hater. I just think, or excuse me, I just think Sam Houston State's the better team. I just don't see, especially playing... Over in where do they even play Beaumont somewhere over there? <laughs> no, Beaumont's uh, Lamar. They're in. Um, oh goodness, we're looking like jackasses. I can't remember the name of it. There's like a thousand little tiny cities in uh, in Texas. So. Wherever it's a home game for the Cougars. <laughs> I, I don't see the Lions going over there and taking the series. I think they get one win, so I'll put them at one and two. But I don't see a series win happening. Hmm. I guess I guess I can accept that, but you know. I didn't really go there, so I don't know why I have so much um, so much love. Oh, Huntsville found it. Didn't need to waste any more time. Huntsville. That's exactly what the city is. But um, yeah, so over to Huntsville will be a um, interesting trip for the Lions. But uh, so wait, do you think they're going to get swept? Do you think it's a lo- just a lost series or what? I think the Lions will win one. Taking one, always always got to take one. Those Lions, but uh, yeah. so yeah, that's 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 where we are at. I'm sure next week we'll talk about how. Finally, Alex is right on some of his predictions. Uh, be nice to see. Maybe Joel we'll miss a few. We but, will uh, see. Don't hold your breath. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. There's no way. But uh, feel free to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and SoundCloud uh, at Neutral Grounders, at N-E-U-T-R-A-L-G-R-O-U-N-D-R-S. No E. Don't put it in there. But um, 
we'll keep you up to date on everything that's going around our area here in Louisiana. Uh, but that's about it. You got anything else, Joel? You wanna you wanna talk about the weather in in Fayetteville, or just just let's just get this thing over with? Yeah, this is Joel signing off. <laughs> All right, y'all have a good weekend. We'll catch you next week.